Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you all. And also, at this time of the year, may the Lord richly bless you in all of our holidays of Christmas and New Year. And carry this message with you. Let's, I want to share with you, it's a simple message, but I have a great sense that there are persons, could be even one person, who really needs what I'm going to say today. It's in Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah, chapter 43. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned." nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then he says, uh, he, he names off the major nations around them and says, I, I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, which means basically uh, I'll give everything I've got for you. And then he says, since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. And that's quite a mouthful as a statement straight from the mouth of the Lord to you and I. And I, I just simply want to see what, what is really there. It was written, and I don't want to spend time going into all the background, but it was written um, for those who were in, in serious trial. Let's just say that. They, they were, they'd lost their home. They had lost their place. They, they would be in a situation of wondering about their future, if there was a future. And to those Uh, He writes, they were in Babylon. Um, Interestingly, for the first time in a long time in history, you probably know where that is. Uh, And and it's in modern Iraq. And they had been taken there from their native Israel and carried across the deserts as prisoners of war and then told to settle down in the Babylonian Empire and so there they were, totally out of place and, and a sense of lostness. And to those people, 
Isaiah writes this word, and it's God's message. It's, it's God's word that comes into the middle of all other words that may be being heard at that time. And, and so he describes them in this trial that they're in as persons that are going through fire and going through water, both of them in terms of their damaging effects. Now, that, that's not just history. I, I give you that just to give you a gist of what was going on. But that that, that we, we're talking about is common to us and common to all of us. Let, let's understand and let's sort of get it out of the way. We live in a world, you and I, who are believers, you and I, the sons and daughters of God, we live in a world where we are confronted with, sometimes surrounded with, what you could describe as circumstances and people would be destructive fire and flood to our lives. It, it, it is so. And could I say it politely? We waste our time in being shocked about it. You know how much mental, emotional, even physical energy we just waste in being shocked when we confront situations and persons in life that we might describe as a devouring fire. Don't be shocked. In the world you will have tribulation, said Jesus. And don't be afraid when circumstances seem to be like a river in flood and you feel like you're going down. Don't be shocked that you, you need that energy for something better than being shocked. This is our world. As David said in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. The valley of the shadow of death, as we've often pointed out, it wasn't death, it was the shadow. And yes, that, that's, that's our life. And my, my, what I want to talk about with you today is persons who are going through that. And I've got that feeling within me that I, I might even have come upon someone who's right in the middle of it. And you can feel the flames and you feel that the waters are rising just below your chin. Uh, it's okay. But you see, the fact is, although this we face, this, this is part of life, um, we believers, we who are the children of God through him, we know something, and that something is a glorious something. Jesus has conquered death. Yes, I mean, for real. Let's cut out all the religious buzzwords. This is for real. Jesus has conquered conquered death. In the resurrection of Jesus, death died. So when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do it differently to a person who would not be a Christian, you say. And when I walk through fire and when I feel I'm drowning in the flood of circumstances, I do it differently to a person who 
does not know that Jesus Christ is Lord because he has walked through the fire and taken its burning power away. He has walked through the flood and has destroyed its ability to drown us. Therefore, we walk through it. But in walking through it, we do so in triumph. And in fact, this glorious Jesus takes that situation. He didn't send it, but he takes it in order to reveal himself to us in the middle of it. And not only so, but reveal himself in us and through us in the middle of it. When, when Paul spoke of extreme troubles that he was having in Ephesus, when he wrote to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, in the first, what, I would say three chapters, he's talking about it. He describes it as uh, of such a situation that he said, we, we despaired even of life. That's pretty much. Um, it's taken it all the way to the, the end. He said, we, we, we despaired even of life. The pressure upon us was so incredible. But then he goes right on to say, but thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. And he describes walking in and through that situation and coming out of it with a track record coming out of it with, with, now I can prove one more notch on my stick to say, see, God meant everything he said. Jesus is all that we, we says he is and all the Father says he is. So we, we walk through the fire and through the water in order to reveal that the fire and the water have lost their power to destroy. Or should I put it like this? They've lost their power to define us. Do you know what I mean? People have a way of letting circumstances, situations, even people define them. So somebody says something about you and, and from then on you'll define themselves with utter despair by what they said. Or you go through something and you let it define the rest of your life. No, no. We go through stuff. People say stuff, but they don't define us. We're already defined. Sorry, you're too late. I've been defined by my Creator in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, and He has called me son. He has called me daughter. He has called me His dwelling place forever. So you can't define me. I'm already defined. And so I'm a son of God, a child of God, who's walked through the fire and the water, but it didn't define me. I walked through it as the person I truly am. Um, there, there was a time, you might say, when your life fell apart, when it seemed that the fire had got it. But, um, <clears throat> well, you were a child of God, more than a conqueror, who walked through that period of time. See, it doesn't overcome us. The truth is, you and I, we frustrate the powers of darkness, the author of the drowning waters and the consuming fire. 
we, when it's all said and done, emerge unscathed. It says it will will not even scorch you. you. You'll come through essentially untouched. It didn't. It didn't achieve its end. The only thing we've lost is is some areas of life we might have trusted in, which were lies anyway, and now they've been burned away. Not bad, you know. So, fire, I mean consuming fire, this is fire out of control, water, and it describes it as a river in flood, and so it's destructive, and uh, here in um, South Texas we get plenty of that kind of thing. We go for months, sometimes years, without any rain, but, but then when it comes, oh, See, we, we get so used to going into the dips and the gullies because they're always empty and dry. But when there's a rain, it comes in a flood and people just are washed away. Cars are picked up and washed away. That's what this is talking about, that, that sort of water. Well, that kind of fire, that kind of water has an agenda. It's, you could almost say it's got a personality. It's, it's part of the satanic thief who comes to destroy, comes to steal. And so when I, when I say fire and water in this context, it means destruction. That's its agenda. That's, the fire is burning with an agenda to destroy everything it touches. It's... And, and when the water is in flood, you're in over your head. And when you're in over your head, well, that's it. You're soon going to be destroyed, you see. Now, that's its agenda. And so when we could add to that, it, it comes to give pain. It, it comes to give hurt and a sense of loss. You, you could say comes to crush the life out of you. That's, uh, that's drowning when your lungs are just crushed and there's no more life. It, it, it comes and carries away. I remember when we first moved into this area, there, it was one of those times after a long drought and then the red, uh, rains came and the rivers overflowed and we we had images on our television every night that that followed if you can <laughs> followed houses and possessions down the river to the gulf of mexico it was an amazing thing i mean we're a long way from the gulf of mexico actually but um the rivers all go down there when whenever there's water in them and, and and you saw houses that had been lifted off their foundation and they were floating down the river and other times uh, you saw refrigerators and uh, cupboards and sort of things things out of that they were all floating down the river the rivers had overflowed and snapped up life possessions and were carrying them away Behind them, persons who were left with nothing. That, that's the agenda of the fire and the water. It, it comes to reduce our dreams to nothing. It comes to crush our hopes. Brings everything to ashes. That's what a fire does. Yesterday it was our living room. Today it's a pile of ashes and we've lost everything. 
Everything's left in a rubble, the fire swept through. And so when we look at fire and water in terms of life and people and situation and events that have this kind of agenda to, to, to burn us away, to drown us, our first reaction to that is fear. It, it, it looks so hopeless. It looks so terrible. And so we, we answer with terror. But this, you see now, to such people who would use all of those words and describe what had happened to them in a very similar fashion, this message comes to them and said, stop. Your, your, your brain is running away with you. Stop and consider a whole other set of facts or put it this way, it may be true that your life is presently being encroached upon by circumstances that you would describe the flames of a fire. It could well be true that there are persons in your life and there are situations you're exposed to that are bringing about something like a flood that you feel is going to drown you. That, yes, but he said, stop looking there. That's the wrong direction to start with. Start somewhere else. Stop. <clears throat> Stop looking at things that are true. You're not denying them. Stop looking at things that are true and look beyond to the truth because there is a vast difference between what is true and what is the truth. What is true is presently true, but it may not be presently true tomorrow. And you say, what is true, it fluctuates. But that which is truth is always truth. And so he says, yes, you're in this situation you're in. But now let's look at the truth. And that's the subject of these verses. It's the truth. He says, be awake to the way things are. And he says, I am the Lord your God. I am your God, the Lord, your God. He said, you'd forgotten that for a minute, didn't you? You saw what was happening as bigger than that. Well, now, now pull back, pull back and consider the fact he is the Lord, your God. Did you notice your God, your God? That, that's a big thing to say. Anybody, you see, any pagan, any Tom, Dick or Harry can say God, but only one who has seen the action of God in Jesus Christ by the shedding of his blood to bring about covenant. And covenant means of belonging to each other. And so it, the, the passage begins by, by saying, I am the Lord, which is another subject, but that, that's his covenant name. But, he, but, but the important thing, I am the Lord, your God. God says I'm your possession. God says I've given myself to you. Don't, don't let what's happening to you cause you to think that the covenant has been negated. It can't. No, no situation can ever stop God being who he is. 
And he says, I am your God. I'm not merely God in the heavens. I'm God in your house. I'm God in your office. I'm God in your school. I'm God in your life. I am your God. And then he says, coming out from that, you are mine. Oh, what a statement. You are mine. I, I think I could go for the rest of the hour just on that, but I'm not going to. But you are mine. That, that's See, he says, I am your God. You then are mine. There's been this wondrous exchange of love. God gives himself to us, and we have been drawn into that love, and, and he is ours, and we belong to him. You are mine, and believe me, God doesn't lose stuff. He doesn't lose you. You don't go missing. You are mine. Right in the middle of this, yes, we've talked about the fire and the flames and the drowning. Leave that aside. Now, concentrate on the truth that never changes and cannot therefore be changed by things that today are true. You are mine. There's a commitment there. I, I, I would say this Bible here is mine. And that is, if it goes into someone else's hands, I will remind them that's mine. You know, you can't touch, that's mine. It's possession. And behind the possession there is, yeah, I'll use the word, it's one of the attributes of God. He said, I'm a jealous God. You don't mess with God's property. Don't mess with God's property. And you are his property. Only it's it's much more wonderful than that because property speaks of stuff and things. Your person and and, and you as you're his person. He says of you, mine. It, it means you're precious. You, it's got your mine. Do, do, do you follow me? It, it's it, you don't say that unless whatever you're talking about is precious to you, of significance to you. You're mine. You are precious to God. Let me have your ear. Give me your heart. God says of you, mine. You are precious to him. You are the possession of the one who loves you. He's put his hand upon you. And Old Testament says it, but let me say it much better in the New Testament. It's not only just a word. It says you are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So so that means he's marked you. Yes, that, that's... Uh, the, it, it's sealed. It, it means something upon your person that marks you off so that the whole world knows... You're, you're not for sale, and you, everybody, keep off, keep off. This has been marked. And so the Holy Spirit, says the whole of the New Testament, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within you. Yes, in this physical body, in the midst of bones and ligaments and organs and cells, 
the Holy Spirit has come in a relational dwelling. He dwells in you. And because the Holy Trinity cannot be split, therefore said Jesus in 14, 15, 16 of John, that when the Holy Spirit comes, we, the Father and Jesus the Son, will come and dwell within you. You're marked. Come on, get it, get it right now. Because I know you keep looking. You keep looking over there at the flames and the flood. We'll get there in a minute. But right now, you've got to hear what God is saying. You're sealed. You're marked. He says, you are mine. And he's put the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit, then he's the spirit of Jesus and the spirit of the Father. The Holy Trinity dwells in you. Yeah, let me put it like this. Again, I have to refer to Texas. It's the only place I know how to refer to right now in these terms. We, we have creatures here that um, are, are usually a mine situation. That is, they're pets. They belong to me. And they're fed. And they're looked after. And they're brushed. And they're combed. And, they're, and all that stuff. They're, they're somebody's mine. But here in South Texas, we have a lot of those kind of things who go off. I don't know when, maybe generations ago. They, they went off and they're no longer anybody's mine. And we call them feral. And I'm sure the rest of the country does. But we, we have a lot of them here. We had them right here on the property. A whole bunch of feral cats. Cats who had no owners, no owners. Uh, they just, I don't know where they came from. They, they just turned up and decided to make this their home. And, and they were a bunch of wild cats. And so, of course, we got here hogs, you know, pigs. And normally we think, at least in the rest of the country, I think you think of pigs as in farmyards or, or ranches, but... Here, we, down in the creek, we, we've got, we call them feral hogs. That means they, they don't belong to anybody. There's no mine attached to them. They're feral. They're wild. They're out there for any predator. Nobody feeds them. They're on their own. You're not a feral human. You know what I mean? God says you're mine. Yeah, you're mine. Now that's, you are mine. You're not running wild. You're not on your own. You're, you're not a victim of the wilderness or of this fire or flood. You're mine. And he said, if you didn't hear it then, let me tell you this. I called you by your personal name. He knows and calls you by your name. It's not, hey, you, it's not you, creature, it's not you without any personal joining. He knows you by name. And in other parts of the world, that, that means an awful lot. Uh, even to a degree in the England that I drew up in, um, you, you, you wouldn't... Well, the biggest shock I ever had when I came over here to the USA was that people would come right up into your face and stick out their hand and say, hello, I'm Philip. Uh, that, that to me 
we we kept our names a secret. I I don't think anyone really thought about it. But I, in school, I was known as Smith. You didn't divulge your first name, and and you only divulged it to your your friends, those those you could trust. Going to other parts of the world, they won't let you know their name. They believe that once they've let you know their name, that you can get to their soul. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And and so he says, I. I called you by name. I know you personally. I know you intimately. I call you my friend. We're in this together. And then he says, I have redeemed you. Redeemed. Now, there's another whole hour we could do. Uh, the word redeemed in the Hebrew language is goel, G-O-A-E-L. And, and, and it means someone who is of your family, You've got to be family, a close relative, and that close relative will step in when you are in trouble and get you out. And so if you're going to lose your land and property, then uh, the goel comes in and pays it off or pays your debts. He, he, the goel, close kinsman, who will be what you need right now. And he does so because of covenant, because of the family covenant. He becomes your strength. He becomes your wisdom. He becomes your peace. That's a redeemer, even to the cost of his life. That, that's covenant to the extreme. God says, I am your redeemer. I'm your near kinsman. I've joined the human race so that I can get as close to you as only God's mind can know. Um, your situation is my situation, he said. We're in this together. Then he sums it up. I will be with you, with, alongside of in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament it means joined, united. That is not separate. God, I know what it feels like right now. But God is not up, 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 separated. He is with you. He sits right now, joined one with you inside the situation you find yourself in. You share common life experience. That is, he is in you where you are right now, but also you are in him where he is right now, which means all of heaven is now available to you. I want to read the passage that we read a few minutes ago. I want to read it again, but this time I want to read it from uh, the message paraphrase. Because I believe that he captures exactly what the Hebrew language is saying here. Let, let me read it. The same passage we started with, but now in the message paraphrase. He says, but now, God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob. The one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. 
When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. Well, I'll say no more. That speaks for itself. It's the message from the beginning. This isn't just an odd text. That I, I, if I wanted to speak this, I, I could choose a number of texts that would all say essentially the same thing. This is God's message from start to finish. What we've talked about here uh, on more than one occasion, the greeting of the covenant people was the Lord be with you. They were announcing to each other, that's who you are, a person that God never leaves. Or what he said to Joshua and on through the Old Testament, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That goes on into the New Testament. Or again, what is repeated over and over in the Old Testament that I've already referred to, I will be your God, you shall be my people. This is the heart of God toward you. So stop, he says, stop, consider this truth. Truth, that is, it never changes. Nothing can, this situation you find yourself in is not bigger than the Holy Trinity, you know. It didn't take him off God. He's with you. He's in you. He'll never leave you. He stamped you with mine. So nothing, nothing can sever this. Nothing can destroy this union. So the fire that you're facing and the water that would seek to drown you is not a destructive event. Uh, it, that was its agenda. It meant to be. But this incredible God has a grander agenda. What the fire water meant, God says, I'll take that and I will mean it for something more glorious. It's meant as a wonder. It's meant to reveal this relationship that you have had with Father and Son and Holy Spirit and maybe have never plumbed its depths. But this is a good place to let it be. You see, nothing, says Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's come to us in Christ Jesus. The very meaning of the word that we translate as love, when we say God is love, the word in the original language is agape. And agape means this personal energy, this, this personal will of the entire being of God to unite you to himself. You could say, if you could ever imagine it, that it begins by meaning the 
embrace of God that will let nothing stop him crushing you into his heart in a bear hug. That's agape. Agape, what is agape? It means that he will overcome anything that would seek to separate you from him and bring you to being one with his presence, which is joy and peace, agape. And he did that. You don't, you see, you don't have to try. You say, well, I don't know if that's true of me. Uh, Yes, it is, not because of anything you've done, but because of what Jesus did and what the Holy Spirit has accomplished. He placed you in Christ. And in Christ means that you're in the Father. You're in the embrace of God Almighty. That's, that's it. So for you, and especially at this moment, the Scripture says, Abide. Or, or stay here. Don't, don't go wandering off. You're not a feral cat. Don't, don't abide. Stay here. Or as Jude, that little epistle at the end of the New Testament says, keep yourself in the love of God. God has placed you in his love. Now stay here. And look at that love, and look at that love, and look at that love. Don't be paralyzed by continually looking at the fire and the water through the lens of your own flesh and senses. What do I mean? If you keep looking at what's happening and then relate that to your yourself in terms of what I am able to do, the extent of my wisdom and the extent of my power and so on. Uh, if, I, if I look at this whole situation as me in my very real limitations, and if I look at that just through five senses, it paralyzes me. But if I look at myself in the light of the fact of this love that God has to me, that changes everything. Oh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Behold the manner of God's love. Behold the manner of love. The Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons, the daughters of God. Old English word, behold it. We don't use it much anymore. It, it, it means to look. It means bug-eyed, mouth open. Wow! Look! Behold what manner of love. And, and that translation, manner, it's, it's okay. Um, but I prefer the what, what the original language really gets to it saying, will you look, will you look, will you look at this foreign kind of love, love that we've never seen on the earth before, this foreign kind of love. The Father has gifted to us. Behold, look at it. Abide, stay here, don't move from here. Keep, keep yourself 
Don't, don't, don't start looking over there and comparing that to just your little self. No. A few weeks ago, I used the word focus. And, and I said, what you keep looking at, focusing on, uh, you, you bring it to pass. And um, one, I believe it was Jay, you, you, you said that that's what you learned in New Age and you were asking for clarification. This is a good time to do it. There, there are certain things that are true in Christ and outside of Christ. Only outside of Christ, they bring only anxiety and fear and and many unwanted things inside of Christ, they're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. If you think of the word focus as seeking, it says in Matthew 6 that, that after all these things of money and possessions, it says after these things the, the Gentiles seek, or you could say put their focus there, and that's what they live and dream. He says, you, you seek first the kingdom of God, Seek the truth as it is in Jesus and, and all these things. So it, it's a fact. As I open my whole being, as I focus the Bible word seek, then I, I'm opened to, to the drawing of the whole. I, I'm brought into union with that. Focus, you say. Focus on God's love. Focus on his promise. Focus on who he is. Give praise to him because against all feeling and logic, he is who he says he is. And he is that in you, in this situation, with you right now. Focus. How do you begin the conversation about all this? All this is happening to you. You see, it begins, or it begins with a conversation you have with yourself. It happens in your head, especially if you're driving. You find it's almost as if you're sitting beside yourself, and there's a conversation. And have you noticed that unless you have beheld, kept, abide, focus? in who you are in his love, that conversation in your head will start talking as if there is no God. It will be a conversation that begins with my mortal flesh, my senses, my native abilities, my native wisdom, very limited. And, and, and the appearance of the fire and the water will be magnified out of all proportion and you, you, you'll know fear. You'll feel very small. You'll feel very limited. And the conversation goes on and on and on. No. Start another conversation in which you begin with who he is. And because of who he is, then who you are. Or to put it this way, do not begin a conversation in your head. And those conversations always end up out of your mouth to somebody else, and usually to somebody else that agrees with you, and that agreeing is actually believing in the power of the fire and the water and, and putting big suspicion upon who God really is. So we don't believe, we don't, put it this way, 
We don't believe in the power of the fire and the water. We don't honor it as an independent power, an entity that's got an independent agenda and God's over here and here's the fire over here and never the twain show me. We don't believe that. Fire, war, that which would destroy. Yes, and uh, if I go back far enough, who started the fire? Satan did and... Who let the water loose? Satan did. Well, let me say this very plainly. We are not, and the word in actual, uh, the word I'm talking about is dualism. That is, I don't believe, we don't believe, the Bible doesn't teach, no Christians ever have believed that there's a Satan God and a good God and they're fighting it out. Two gods. No, we don't believe in two gods. Satan doesn't have any independent agenda. He doesn't have independent power. He's not an independent entity that snuck in when God wasn't looking to beat it out of you. No, you might have need time to think about that, but it's true. It's true. And again, it's that thing, if, if you believe that, if you focus on it and really believe it and yield to it, then... We're giving it a power that doesn't belong to it. See, there's no power outside of God. These flames, they're not bigger than God. They're not beyond him and his purpose. So don't, don't yield to them as if they have such power. Don't give them such power. Don't yield and give substance to fear. And you know, if, if that's what you've been doing, mind you, if that's what you've been doing, you didn't scare God away. He's still everything that he ever was and will be. It just it wreaks havoc with your own brain. We, we go into self-pity, you see. We sulk at being in this situation because we believe that a power that's greater than the Holy Trinity, greater than the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, is. That's terrifying. No, you don't go there. You don't cower before circumstances. Produces frustration, even anger, that, that this, this that's happening is, is destroying the will of God. It's separating me from God. God has abandoned me. No, boy, you see, you recognize that's the words of Satan as far back as Genesis 3. No, that's a lie. Actually, it's the lie that you're separate from him. We talked, was it last week, about the, the words of Satan to Jesus in the wilderness. If you're the son of God, see, if you're the son of God, this situation that you find yourself in should never be. And Jesus was in the wilderness, quite the opposite of what we're talking about. Um, he, he, he was being burned up by the sun and burned up by hunger of a 40-day fast of food. And, and, and Satan mocks him. If you're the, the, the father said you were the son of God, well, if you're the son of God, this shouldn't be, should it? It, it should look very different to this. Obviously, God has abandoned you and you've got to do something. Ever heard that? Especially when the fire and the water encroach upon you. 
if you're a child of God, this would never happen. I, I mean, if God was your father, he'd never allow this to happen. Either you got it all wrong or he's thrown you under the bus. Don't go there. Don't go there. Stand your ground in the middle of where you are and declare it. And personally, sometimes I have to shout that. I go to a private place somewhere and shout it to get above the zoo, the bedlam of noise that's going on inside my head. And I shout it. But I am his child through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his shed blood, by the giving of the Holy Spirit. I am his child. I am his child in a painful situation. I am his child with the fire licking around my feet. I am his child with the water rising, but I am his child. I am his blessed one. I am his favored one in a very nasty situation. But I never, never, never listen to that insidious voice that whispers down in the basement of your soul. If you're the son of God, this wouldn't be happening. You see, then we become bitter and resentful as to why is this happening to me? And that moves over to envy of everyone who is not presently having fire and water issues. At least, that's what you think. There's more people there than you can see. And then we find we can't pray because we're stuck in this illusion that we're under the power of fire and water and I don't know where God is. If, if you go into that kind of thinking and opening of yourself, you'll be scorched, yeah. And you will for years by your own choice. That is, this event will define you. No. No, no, no. There's only one God, says the scripture, and there's only one Lord Jesus Christ. And you are in unbreakable covenant with him, not because of something you did, but because of what he did. And therefore, from within that relationship, you can address the worst that Satan can hurl at you and say, do you remember what Jesus said to Pilate? Pilate, arrogantly struts before Jesus and says, don't you know that I have power to condemn you, power to release you? I've got all power. In... And Jesus, so unemotional, quiet, said, you have no power unless it was given to you from above. Wow. Wow, what a statement. And that situation you're in is strutting in front of you and saying, I've got power to destroy you. Where is your God? And you can, without getting emotional, just say you have no power. You have, All power is in the hands of my Father, and I am his child. I am in Christ, and I include my family. I include my possessions. I include my work and place in this world. So this event that's going on is happening in Christ. So this is his territory. 
And, and it's interesting. I'll just refer it. I think the Holy Spirit can carry your mind further. But isn't it interesting? Some of the things that happen in Scripture in the light of this verse. See, Red Sea. Do you remember the Red Sea of Exodus? That's water, big time water. And, and that was a barrier of water. They can't go through, which means they're dead. And so this God just simply divided the waters. Do you remember the three Hebrew fellows who in Babylon refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar and his God? And so they were thrown into the furnace of fire that was heated seven times above average. And the result was, do you remember, they walked in the fire and Jesus came and visited with them in the fire. And when they came out, they didn't even smell of fire. The only thing missing was the ropes that had bound them when they were thrown into the fire. Interesting. Do you get what I'm trying to say? He's Lord of this situation. And then Jesus walked on the water. And whatever else that means, it means that in the flood waters of your life, the one that you are in and the whole jolly circumstances in, he walks on the water so that he can't possibly drown you. And this one that you are in stood on a reeling ship with the howling hurricane in his face and simply said to the wind and the water, peace, be still. And immediately there was a calm. This is his territory. He said, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And this is part of his authority. And where this is all going to end up, I don't know. All I do know is that this one with his authority causes all things to work together in a symphony for a good that is glorious good. God does not send pain into your life and say, well, in heaven we call this good. Come on, God speaks plain English. He speaks the language of your birth. He's, he's not this stupid religious God that mistakes pain for good. He works all things together for good because he likes you, he loves you, he's on your side, and this is his territory that you find yourself in. So, my time is speeding past. You know, there's some fire and water that result in death. I mean, face it, it does. You say, well, then fire or water, it achieved its end. There was a death involved. I know what you mean. And certainly we know real tears when there is death involved. But let's understand something here. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, we sorrow not, and he's speaking about death, we sorrow not as others which have no hope. That is, death to the Christian is not what death to the unbeliever is. Jesus said, if you believe upon me, you shall never die. 
For a Christian, death is but a hiccup on the road of life. And that person that died, in fact, um, many believers, and I would tend to be one of them, we hardly ever use the term death because they didn't die. They walked into life. They are more alive. They are filled with greater joy and peace now than they've ever known beyond any dictionary's power to define. The sorrow is with us, but death didn't win. Jesus said, I am he who lives. And that word you could say, I am livingness. I was dead. He said, I've been into death. Not its shadow, he said. He tasted death for every man. He said, I am he who is livingness. I was dead. But behold, look. I am alive forevermore, and I now hold the keys of death and the grave. So, even there, it doesn't win. And yes, there's triumph in our tears, though tears they be. But we're not weeping for the lost one. We weep our own tears. Death didn't win. Death didn't win, and we place them into the grave knowing Jesus holds the keys of that grave and we shall be reunited in Christ Jesus. So we don't cower before the fire and the water. It's not the last words. Its agenda shall not be fulfilled. It's not the inevitable end. And like Joseph speaking to his brothers at the end when he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Well, I'm going to stop there. And may the Holy Spirit use this word that I send out in the name and authority of Jesus my every word filled with the Holy Spirit to enter into your life and bring you peace, even joy, certainly triumph, and take you by the hand and lead you to God's end, not the end of fire and water. And so now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing abide with you in these days, opening the eyes of your understanding to see truth, empowering you to walk through the situations of this life without scorch. So I now bless you and that is the way it is. Amen.